You should have notes in front of you, and we're going to wrap up our What Happened series, and we're going to end with the Ascension uh, tonight. I want to talk a little bit about the Ascension of Jesus, and we'll get there in just a moment. Next week um, is the Wednesday before Encounter. If you've not signed up for Encounter, I encourage you to do that as well. Um, but I encourage everyone to be here, as always, on Wednesday, whether you're going to Encounter or not. We'll have a lesson that will help prepare those folks that are going to Encounter uh, but it'll be a good lesson for everyone uh, to be here, whether you choose to attend that or not. So that will, is what will be happening uh, next Wednesday night, and then we'll segue into another uh, protracted series so we can sow some things. I like doing series, and the reason I like doing that is because it gives me the opportunity to explore things a little bit deeper than you get with just hitting a topical thing every now and then. And, and I do that too, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, but I do like doing it this way because I just get to zero in. Oh, by the way, and Sunday we start uh, the series Playing with Dynamite. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And um, I'm excited about that. I already wrote one and uh, got a whole bunch of things going through uh, my spirit. So we're going to spend some time on the Holy Spirit uh, the next few Sundays. So uh, I, I believe that will be helpful as well. But now we've got to deal with the Ascension. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, uh, open it up to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. I'll get to all the scripture references at the top of your page, but let me read to you first before we get there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I want to read to you a couple passages here that Paul wrote to Timothy with regards to end times. 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. Yeah, sound doctrine. I like that phrase, sound doctrine. Never says perfect doctrine. None of us have perfect doctrine. That's because we see through a glass darkly. We don't have all knowledge. Um, you know, Calvin could partially be right, and Arminius could partially be right. And some of you are saying, who are those guys? And... Uh, and you'd never even heard of them. And that's probably to your benefit. <laughs> but, but truth be told, you can look at Scripture sometimes in different ways and come up with different understandings, and you're still being very, very scriptural. The key is not to have perfect doctrine. The key is to have sound doctrine. And the word sound means healthy. It literally means healthy. Have healthy doctrine. But it says the time will come when they'll not want that. They'll not want sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So Paul says that there will come a day in the life of the church that, that people will no longer want to hear truth. They'll not, they'll not want sound doctrine. And you know, sound doctrine can include a lot of things that will bless you. You know, the blessing is a part of the Scripture. Uh, healing is a part of the Scripture. Prosperity is a part of the Scripture, rightly understood. These things are blessings. Uh, the Scripture tells us that the Lord longs to bless His people. He wants to bless His people. And if we taught on the blessing, that would be sound doctrine. But the problem is, is when things get twisted or you don't hear the whole story or you don't get everything that needs to be said within the context of you know, one little truth, 
and, and then you can get off into error. It's just like your nutrition. How many of you know dessert is good? I like dessert. I, I, actually, to be candid with you, more than dessert, I like salty things. Now, I can do damage to a whole bag of chips at once. Especially if I'm watching something I really like on television. I mean, I can do damage to that thing. I can go to the theater and I can get me the big, gigantor popcorn, which always amazes me that you buy that thing and they say there's free fill-ups on that. And, and I say to myself, can anybody get through one of those and get another fill-up? I, I guess they do. But I can do damage on that. Uh, but you can't live on that, can you? Some of, you, some of you, we could put a chocolate cake in front of you, and you could do some great damage on that chocolate cake. Amen. But you can't eat chocolate cake every day uh, because that would not be sound nutrition. So you have to eat your proteins and your vegetables and your carbs, and you get your, you know, you have to drink your water. And if you want, if you want to live long, and if you want to have a quality of health, you have to eat the right thing. Listen, if you want a quality of spiritual life, you've got to eat the right thing and you've got to eat the whole thing. You can't just choose the good stuff and leave the challenging stuff. You've got, you've got to get the whole diet and we do our best to give that to people. I remember years ago, uh, going through college, I don't tell this story too much of working at a place. Most of you hear my custodial stories because I spent a lot of time there, but I worked at another place that made um, control panels for the automobile industry. And uh, what these control panels did was they actually uh, were uh, pipe trains that sat in the middle of gas flow. And back in those days, they'd paint the automobiles, and then they'd put them into ovens, and they'd literally bake them. Now, that has switched. They use electronic processes now but in those days still they they baked the paint on the cars and so they went into these ovens these ovens of course had to be lit and they were on fire there was gas that went to these ovens and and we made the safety control mechanisms that if those flames went out the uv uh eye would catch it and it would shut down the flow of gas to those ovens and we created these particular uh safety devices and uh, so we, we, we were in this private company and, and next to a fencing company, actually. And the fencing company had put in the backyard, really all of our backyards, all of their scrap wood. And they'd been piling this wood up there for years. You knew it was years because, I mean, there was a pile of wood when I first started working there. And a year after I'd worked there, the pile had only gotten bigger. So I knew it had been there for at least a couple of years and in all likelihood probably longer than that. Well, the day came that they decided they didn't want all this wood back there anymore, so they decided to have this gigantic bonfire. So they lit this pile of wood up into a bonfire, and everything that had made a nest inside of that pile of wood came racing out. Now, I don't know all that came out, but I can tell you most of what came out were rats. I mean, I, I, I don't want to embellish. I can say without embellishing hundreds of rats it looked to me like it was thousands of rats and the problem was they wanted to go somewhere and so they started to try to find their way into this business it was a steel building they were trying to find its way into the business and we started finding rats anywhere and everywhere inside the building and so what we did was um 
instead of, uh, well, we did get traps, but the other thing we also tried to do was to get them was they had a special type of rat food that you could give them that as they would eat this, they loved it. It had a special flavor to it that the rats would love. But literally what they would do is they would eat and eat and eat until they would feel stuffed. But what they didn't realize, the rat didn't realize was that it had no nutritional value. It had nothing in there that was actually sustaining them. And though they were feeling stuffed like they were gorging themselves, it actually was leaving them empty and they were really dying of malnutrition and starvation. Kind of a nasty way to kill a rat. Now, you may be a rat fan. I'm not a rat fan. We put some rats in your house. I don't think you'd be a fan of them either. But they're eating, 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 eating. But they're literally starving. That is our generation. Our generation is a generation of people who are eating things spiritually that are, that's only the fluffy stuff. And, and they say to themselves, yes, I'm hearing the word, I'm getting fed, I'm getting fed. But they're literally starving to death. And that's why sound doctrine is so important. Because, because unless you get the good stuff and the real stuff, and some of the good stuff... And, and the important stuff isn't always the most exciting stuff. Are you following me? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I try to make everything we talk about exciting. But there are some things that it's just hard to make it exciting. You know, you know faithful isn't always exciting. I mean, give me a dramatic one-time God comes through, kills them all, and it's over. That's exciting. But me walking something out for a decade, that's not exciting. So let's spend all our time talking about this. I like this, but the problem is most of life is lived here. And the problem is when people don't see what they want to see and it doesn't happen like they want it to happen, they're upset at God or they're upset at something and and then they throw the towel in they don't want to hear anymore and they've not been taught the whole counsel of god got it all in their system so when those moments came that it was challenging they'd been nourished appropriately that they could press through that time period are you following me that's why we've got we've got to spend time and we do this on wednesday nights hopefully digging a little deeper into things and so now we're going to get to the exciting topic of the ascension doesn't that sound exciting? Some of you, you just, you, you love the word. Thank you for shaking your head. That's exciting. But I know for a lot of people, they're going, what's the big deal? All right, Jesus, you know, that was like the first Star Trek episode. It was just like beam me up, you know. All right. But there's some really important things you need to understand that are incredibly relevant for your life. Now, let me read just a couple things here. Go to Luke's gospel. You can find it in a hurry. Luke 24, uh, verse 50. Luke 24. Verse 50, it says, And he, meaning Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and carried up, and he was carried up into heaven. The most familiar passage is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, meaning the disciples, he was taken up, and a cloud received him, out of their sight. And then finally, in the book of Ephesians, Paul elaborates a little bit more. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Listen, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, 
Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, all that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Paul's praying that your eyes are opened, uh, uh, that you understand this, that you're enlightened, that you know his calling. I'm, I'm just going through this. You get a hold of this exceeding greatness, the working of his mighty power. Then listen in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So everything I just read to you from verse 15 through verse 19 is linked to what I just read to you in verse 20. These things happen in our lives when we understand that he worked these things in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and put all things under his feet. Now underline that because in just a moment I'm going to read to you something that's going to be very interesting. He's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that you get a hold of this. Now we're talking about the ascension right now. Get a hold of this. The ascension. There are three types of people the Bible tells us about. You can begin to fill in the blanks in the few minutes I have left. Three types of people that are mentioned in the scripture. I'm not going to read every passage that corroborates what I'm about ready to say, but you can look it up later. And you decide which one you want to be. The first one we'll call the natural man. The natural man. The natural man is the one who is dead in his sins. The natural man is the man who lives by his senses. He's controlled by his senses. He's governed by his senses. Scripture tells us that the natural man walks according to the course of this age. The natural man looks at life and however life hits him according to his senses, that is how he makes his decisions. So he evaluates everything on the basis of what he sees, what he smells, what he touches, what he tastes. And if it doesn't pass the sense test, he usually refuses it, all right? Or, or what happens is, it, it's like the old saying, if it feels good, what? See, if it feels good, do it. That's the natural man. It feels good, so I do it. That's the natural man. Now, we know, we know that just because it feels good doesn't mean you ought to do it. Just like I said with the rat, just because it tastes good doesn't mean you ought to eat it. The natural man. Number two is the carnal man. The carnal man. Now, the carnal man is interesting, and the Corinthians were called carnal. They're carnal Christians. There's every now and then, even as I work through that, it, it's really a challenge to me because when you realize the depths, depths of their carnality, it, uh, it's a challenge to even, to even begin to process how God would still embrace them, but he does. It's just an amazing thing how God goes to the nth degree with us and, and how he wants us to get a hold of his precepts. But the carnal man at least at some point in his life, has been saved, what we call saved. Uh, according to the scripture, old things passed away, all things became new. 
He's a new creature, the scripture tells us, but the problem is that he refuses or he neglects to invest in this new life. A carnal Christian, can I just say this? A carnal Christian at times will look a lot like the natural man. The carnal Christian is usually governed by their senses in the same way the natural man is. That's why when the natural man looks at the carnal church, he says this, you're no different than me. Have you ever heard someone say that about Christians? They're no different than me. Well, he's right sometimes. Because he's looking at carnal Christianity and it resembles in a lot of ways his natural life. And the saddest part of the state of a carnal Christian is that there's tons of potential, but no revelation. I meet people all of the time that I look at and I say to myself, you have tons of potential. You have incredible skills, abilities, gifts, talents. But the problem is, is that you refuse to press into his glory. You refuse to press into his holiness. You refuse to press into his character. And it's there you begin to find some things that are at a far deeper level than just skills, talents, and gifts. And ultimately where God wants us is that third person, which is the spiritual man. The spiritual man or woman, you understand I'm speaking genderless when I do that. The spiritual man walks in the revelation of who he is in Christ. He's no longer under the dominion of the flesh and his senses. But he begins to do things like he begins to walk not by sight, but by what? Come on, say that again. We're not walking by sight, but we're walking by In order to walk by faith, you can't be governed by your senses. You can't be governed by what you see and what you reason and what you logic. No, the carnal man would do that. The natural man would do that. But the spiritual man doesn't walk that way because he understands that not all of God's ways are summed up in his logic and not all of God's ways can be seen with these eyes and not all of God's ways can be touched with our hands. And so what happens is he begins to master the inner workings of the Spirit. God has come inside of him. He has recreated him. God lives in him. This is the inner man. In fact, he will later say when he prays in in Ephesians 3, because it's the greatest place where it says when he prays this, it says that I pray uh, that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works where? In you. That God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in you, in you, in you. So it's in here. Now, now I know on Wednesday night, I'm believing this to be true, that everybody that's usually here on a Wednesday night, they have, they have a commitment to Christ. There's a love for the Lord. I understand we're at different places in the journey. We have different growth charts that we could put up by way of our spiritual life. But this is the thing you got to get a hold of, that inside of you right now is unlimited potential. It may not all be coming out. You may not understand why it's not all coming out. We're, we're working to help give you more understanding. But inside of you, if God, if God lives inside of you, do you not understand that there is incredible possibility as to what could happen in your life? See, all of a sudden, if... How many of you know God, if God be God, then God is never hemmed in. You're never going to push God into a corner and think you've got him corralled. Is that true? I mean, you aren't going to box him in. You aren't going to tie him up. You aren't going to hold him down. I'm telling you, 
God cannot be handled like that. God lives in, in you and me. People don't get that. People don't understand that as a Christian, there is a distinguishable difference, should be, in our life than the life of those who live either by their senses in the natural or carnally. Now you say, well, pastor, I just don't find many people like that. I know. I know. And that's why we're doing our best to change that. I understand we may not be there, but we've got to aspire. Now, a part of why that is and how that works is because Jesus ascended to the Father. In Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6, listen to what it says here. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. It says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together. Are you kind of catching how I'm reading here? There's a lot of togethers in here, aren't there? You know, there's actually three togethers here in two verses. So what, what Paul is saying is what God did to his son and what God performed in his son together, he's doing that in you and me. Raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Three togethers. Now, we're in union with him. Remember, the Bible tells us that we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we're in union with him. And understand, I, I get it, you get it, that right now we're, we're seated in an earthly sanctuary, right? I'm not seated, I'm standing. But let's just say for a moment, I'm seated too. So we're all seated in an earthly sanctuary right now. This is the natural. Your natural man, if I were to say, where are you seated? Now, I gave you too many hints. But I, but, I, but I believe that some of you probably haven't got it yet, so if I were to ask it out loud, I bet I'd still get some wrong answers. If I were to say, where are you seated, if I didn't give you any hints and just said, when you came in raw from the street after a hard day's work, and we all sat down, and I sat down in front of you, and I looked at you, and I said, where are we seated tonight? Most of us would say, and, and perhaps I would too, only because, you know, I wrote the lesson, I might have a few clues. We'd all go, we're seated in the sanctuary, Pastor. We're seated in the sanctuary. That's the natural man. Why, why, do you, why would we say that we're seated in the sanctuary? I don't want to be indelicate here, but your hind parts felt the seat. And your hind parts have more authority in your life Then your inner man, because truth of the matter, to ask the question, where are we seated tonight? The answer is not, we are seated in the sanctuary. No, the Bible says we've been seated with Christ. You say, well, I don't, well, I don't see with Christ. That's your problem. See, you're walking by sight. You've not got revelation. It's not been unveiled. That Ephesians 1 15 stuff that I read to you, that's not happened. Because the natural man comes in and goes, I'll tell you where I'm seated. I'm seated right, I'm seated right here on the platform. But to the, to the spiritual man, he says, my, my natural may be seated on this, but I'm telling you, I'm seated with Christ. 
right now, this moment, say, you're walking around up there. It don't matter. I could run up here and I'm still seated. Are you following me? You're going to walk out of here, go home, go to bed. You're going to lay in your bed, Bill, and you're still seated. You wake up in the morning and you'll jump in your car. And you'll sit in your car seat or you'll go to work or you, and you'll sit at your desk and, 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 you're, and, and your back parts will be going, you're seated in your desk and you'll need to say, your inner man needs to say, I'm seated with Christ. Seated with Christ. See, that's what union with Christ means. Now, I'm going to stop here for just a second and, and I'm going to try to make this exciting because I realize this is sound doctrine and sometimes it doesn't give you the thrills and the chills and the goosebumps, but this is extremely relevant because you see, if you get no further than being seated seated on the platform or seated in your seat, if you get no further than that, then when life throws stuff at you, wherever you're seated is the position of your authority to deal with what comes after you. But if you can begin to understand that, no, 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 I'm seated somewhere else. I understand I got things coming across my desk. I got people hollering at me. I got people yelling at me. I got people that don't want to do the deal. I got people that are trying to mess around with me. There's injustice. There's unfairness. And if you sit, if you keep sitting in that seat, you will be a doormat for the enemy for the rest of your life. But the minute the eyes of your heart are enlightened and revelation comes to you and you begin to understand that you know what? I understand that my natural man may be sitting on this seat, but my inner man is seated with Christ. And when I'm seated with Christ, that means this. It means that all things have been placed where? Yeah. What? You say, well, no, no, that's Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm, an, I'm a joint heir. I've been seated together with him in heavenly places. Now, I can't go through all of this because I only got just a few minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you fill in the blanks real quick here. What do some of these concepts mean? I'm going to give you three things real fast. Number one, what does it mean to be seated? These are important concepts. Number one, this is, this is relevant Trace and I had a wonderful conversation this week on this subject. Rest. You know what it means to be seated? It means to be at rest. I learned early in life that the job I was going to have somehow or another was going to entail being seated. I worked my first years. You heard all my farm stories. You don't sit much on a farm. I mowed lawns at a retirement home. You don't sit much mowing. You just, and I learned something, you know, that, it, you know, one of the reasons you let your kids go work and do manual labor is because that will be the greatest impetus for them to go get them a job where there's an air conditioner and they can be seated. Isn't it true? I don't want to dig ditches the rest of my life. I just rescreened my porch out on the back and I was going to do it myself because I was going to save money and I felt like I could do it and. I was stupid. I mean, it was just, I was just stupid. That thing was, that was more of a job than I ever imagined. And I mean, we're talking many, many hours. And then I had to retrim the whole thing. Those of you that are in construction, I was telling Noah after I got done, I said, Noah, I respect you to, to do what you do. Of course, he's a young man and, and, and 
You know, a young man probably has a lot more energy than an older man does. But I looked at Noah, I said, Noah, right now, you need to get divine strategy as to what you're going to do when you're my age because you don't want to be doing that for the rest of your life. You want to get seated. That's a problem with the church. The church, church is big on energy. It's just not big on understanding where it's seated. No striving. What does rest mean? If you read the biblical passages on rest, it means to cease striving, to cease anxiety, to cease worry. Isn't that so much a part of our life? We strive, we worry, we're anxious. Can I just say that you're seat, when you're seated, it means you're at rest. <sighs> Look who's at the next, next desk. Okay? Rest. I think rest also means confidence. That's not number two. It's just under rest. I think it means confidence. I've been seated with Christ. I have confidence. All things are under my feet. It may be making some noise for the moment. It's going to be okay because I'm seated with him. Number two, I think it means access. Being with him, union with him means access. Because we've been seated, we can boldly come before his presence. Because we've been seated, it doesn't mean that we're having to scream and holler to get God's attention. He's right. We're in union with him. We're together with him. We can say, I got a problem. Hey, Lord, I got a problem here. Access. Access. Isaiah 45, 11. Write this one down. Isaiah 45, 11. It's an amazing verse. God literally says, prophetically in Isaiah 45, 11, it says, command ye therefore me. What that means is, is that the Lord is literally saying to his people, because some people have, I heard this taught before, they said, you can't tell God what he's going to do. Let me tell you, Isaiah 45, 11 tells me I can. Not that I can yank him around to my own desires. I'm not saying that you're going to yank God to your own desires. Uh-uh. But, but according to his word, if you're in his word, you're living his word, and it's his word and his promises, God says, command ye, command ye me. God, God's waiting for us to implement his word. He's not resisting what he said. Access. And then finally, number three, I believe it indicates authority. To be seated means to be an authority. Do you realize that in this room right now, there is enough authority that if it were to be released in unity, we could do anything. I really started to think about that. I started to meditate on that. Do you, under, do you understand? I, I, I know that tree out there on John's Island became sort of our, our corporate joke. And we got that thing. Took a while, but we got a tree. But do you understand that that is nothing to God? Nothing to God. We can speak to storms and they will cease. We can speak to disease and it will dry up. We can move in power and we would be unstoppable. And really it's time to eliminate the vocabulary of defeat from our lives. We've not been called to defeat. We've been called to victory. Why have you been called to victory and how can I say that to you? It's because you've been what? Say, you've been seated. 
seated. That's what the book of Acts is so amazing. It's because they realized they've been seated. They saw him go up into heaven. They understood the union that was now going to exist. And because of that, that early church literally shook the world. The reason our church today doesn't shake the world is because we've lost sight and we've lost revelation and understanding. We think the world's going to be one through our effort. I believe we have to cooperate, obviously, with the will and the plan of God. I'm not saying that we all become these spiritual couch potatoes because we've been seated. You, I've seen people seated before television sets that are worthless. So I'm not saying that we get seated and we can become spiritually impotent. But our problem is, is we've strove and we've, we've, we've simply done the work of the flesh. And, and does God bless and help? Sure he does. But he's waiting for a people who will trust and believe. And it will be amazing as to what will begin to take place. Christianity, I don't believe, is about being brainy. I don't, I don't believe Christianity is about getting more information. I believe Christianity is a revelation of understanding what Jesus has provided and, and how we now are in union with him. And when we get that revelation and we put it to our confession, amazing, miraculous things will begin to take place. Again, I'll just say this to you. You understand right now that our country is in dire straits and need everybody I, I think we can all agree to that and you do understand that everybody that's running it has degrees from harvard and yale and princeton you understand that right we don't need another degree we need somebody with revelation and that day will come the scripture says that day will come and when that day comes whether it comes on a national scale or whether it comes on your job site you need to be the one that knows you've been seated. Amen. Stand with me. I'm going to pray for you.